It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. So the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s were a dynasty. And you can think of a lot of big influential names from the NFL landscape over that time. Jerry Jones, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman. I mean, Hall of Famers everywhere. But did you know that the guy who was the most influential out of anyone in the Dallas organization is completely nameless? Hello and welcome to the show. This is Upon Further Review. I am your host, Vince Quinn. And what we're going to get into today, it's the NFL Draft Trade Value Chart. And, man, uh, such an important piece of paper, really. Uh, You think of the Magna Carta and the Declaration of Independence, and then there's the NFL Draft Trade Value Chart. I mean, this is something that pops up year in and year out. It's completely unavoidable, and it dictates so much of what the NFL is and does because when these conversations go on from general managers around the league really year-round, it's something that this chart comes up in all of those conversations. It is a foundational piece of how business gets done in the NFL. And as you approach the NFL draft, you you have to wonder, well, what is this thing? Where did it come from? What does it actually say? There's all these numbers. I don't I don't quite get it. Well, it might not just be you because as far as I can see it, no one gets it. And I mean no one. I mean head coaches, general managers, owners, Looking back into this thing, I don't think anyone quite understands how the the draft trade value chart works and what it really means. But before we get into the chart, it is important to understand what led to its creation. And it does deal with the dynasty that was the Dallas Cowboys. Now, before they became that dynasty, they were an, an interesting experiment, if you will, because 1989 is the year that everything changed for Dallas. 
And in a very literal sense, because you had a new owner. Jerry Jones just bought the team. Um, he had his oil money that he used to buy the organization. It's $175 million about. And in that same year, when he bought the team, he replaced a Dallas institution in Tom Landry. Tom Landry was the head coach for, of the Dallas Cowboys from 1960 to 1988. So everything that Dallas had done in its history, America's team and all of that, Tom Landry's your guy. And Jerry Jones, buying the team, just goes, nah, I'm good. So Tom Landry is replaced. And that's a big pair of shoes to fill. And as you know, the right man was picked for the job in Jimmy Johnson. So Jimmy Johnson was the head coach at that time. He had been in the college ranks, but most notably, he was a part of the University of Miami, Florida. He was in a national championship and lost. That was the Penn State. He was in another national championship and won. That was in 87. So he gets hired in 1989 as a respected college football coach, but no NFL experience. And he's hired by an NFL owner who we know Jerry Jones's personality. He's a he's a brash guy. He he likes the spotlight a lot. But he was also brand new. So he's an inexperienced loudmouth that's running this organization. And you have two rookies in charge and you have to wonder as a Dallas fan how are things going to go because the other fact of the matter is Dallas was not a very good organization when they took power. Jerry Jones had a lot of work to do. Jimmy Johnson had a lot of work to do because the 1988 Dallas Cowboys, so just before the team was purchased, 3-13. and 13. So Jimmy Johnson comes in with Jerry Jones, and they get one thing to start all of this that, it, it, I mean, this is as cornerstone as it gets. With the first overall pick in the 1989 NFL Draft, the Dallas Cowboys select out of UCLA quarterback Troy Aikman. So there you go. It, as much as you would worry about new owner, new head coach, it's as easy as it can possibly be in the sense that they open up the door day one with a guy who ends up being a Hall of Fame quarterback. So things are going to look up from the start. But the first year is not so rosy. In fact, it's very tumultuous, and it's something that was viewed as a, as a possibility of burying Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones. And instead, it turned out being their savior. And, and what happened is the Herschel Walker trade. So to fully understand this, in 1989, a 3-13 team the year before, the Dallas Cowboys go into the season, and they had the first pick in the draft. They were a bad team. Five games into the season, 1989, they're 0-5. And there's an interesting story with Jimmy Johnson, who, rookie head coach, he's on a jog with his staff. They're going around 15-minute jog in the area of the practice facility. And he throws this idea out to his assistant coaches. He says, guys, 
I want to trade Herschel Walker. Now, to understand how big of a statement that is, Herschel Walker was the truth. He had been to two consecutive Pro Bowls for Dallas. He was in his prime. He was 27 years old. The previous season, he had 2,000-plus total yards. I mean, the guy was great. He was a former Heisman winner. He was everything to Dallas. He was their best player at the time. So this is a shock. When Jimmy Johnson says, we're a bad team, we have a great player in his prime, I want to trade him. In fact, it's noted that one of the assistant head coaches to Jimmy Johnson talks to him and says, okay, well you can trade Herschel Walker, but when you get fired, can you at least guarantee us a job at Texas A&M? It was that radical of an idea. But Jimmy Johnson has it in his mind that we're a bad organization And the only way to get better is to trade our best player. Now, there's a lot of merit to this idea when you understand where the Dallas Cowboys were in history. This is 1989 that Jimmy Johnson proposes the idea. The NFL doesn't allow free agency. It does not exist in the concept that we know it as today. Until 1992, and that's the year where Reggie White goes on his merry way. So for the Dallas Cowboys, they're in a tough situation because they are a bad team. Everything you do is based almost exclusively on drafting unless you're able to make a trade. You're able to expand the talent pool because if you're a good player and you're on another organization they're they're otherwise inaccessible unless the team's willing to give them to you it's it's hard so you're going to be bad for a long time if you don't tend to draft well or rip people off in trades or at least get good value in trades you could be a rudderless ship And so Jimmy Johnson says, hey, this is the only way out. This is the nuclear option, and I'm going to take it. And the Herschel Walker trade turned out being a fantastic deal for the Cowboys. And it's it's something that is so significant in itself. It's one of the the biggest robberies. Jimmy Johnson, in his press conference, I believe he called it, quote, the great train robbery. This is a monumental deal in sports, and it paves the way for the draft value chart, and I'll explain why in time. But the thing you need to understand right now is that when the Dallas Cowboys trade Herschel Walker, they're five games into the season, and they're 0-5. So even with their best player, they're going nowhere, and the Minnesota Vikings decide that when they hear Herschel Walker's available, he's going to be the player that pushes him, pushes them over the top. And so they go in with a monstrous offer. It's five players that are all starting caliber, given who Dallas is, which again, they're an 0-5 team, and eventually they end the season at 1-15. They're a really, really bad team. Even with Troy Aikman, he's a rookie. So they get five players and a first-round pick. But there's a little catch. And the way it works out is, if those players are cut by February of 1990, 
and this is a deal made in 89, the Dallas Cowboys will get draft picks that are based on each player getting cut. So one player gets cut, you get a second and a third round pick. Another player gets cut, you'll get a first round pick. And so Jimmy Johnson, as he's making this trade, the framework of this trade, he cannot smile wide enough. He's thrilled by this possibility because to Minnesota, they said, this is a bad team. They need players. We're kind of giving them, we're helping out the poor, is how they saw it. So here's these five players. They're okay. We'll throw in these compensations in case for whatever reason it doesn't work with one of those players. They're not happy to be there and you need to trade them, which did happen with one of them. But Jimmy Johnson's looking at this and saying, all these guys are getting cut. I'm going to cut all of them. I can't wait to do it. It's going to happen as soon as the time is right. But he makes this deal, and and here's what ends up happening when he makes all of those cuts. The best that I've been able to gather, and Dallas makes a lot of trades in this time, they ultimately, as a result of the Herschel Walker deal, They have a first, a second, and a sixth round pick in 1990. They get a first and a second round pick in 1991. They get a second and a third in 1992, and a first in 1993. So three firsts, three seconds, a third, and a sixth. All from Minnesota in exchange for Herschel Walker, a third round pick and a tenth round pick in 1990, as well as a third round pick in 91. Which side are you taking? I mean, wow. So Jimmy Johnson makes this deal with Herschel Walker, and the Cowboys have stockpiled an absurd amount of picks. Just absolutely astounding. And again, this is a trend for Jimmy Johnson. This isn't a single gold mine situation. It's not like Jerry Jones, the guy who's striking oil to get his money, This is a philosophy. This is a lifestyle that he's living. Jimmy Johnson, in the five years that he was the Dallas Cowboys head coach, they made 51 trades. And that was, to put this in perspective, more than the rest of the entire NFL combined in those five years. 51 trades. So he is lapping everyone by an absurd amount. He's a very active person. And again, it goes to this mentality of you can't get free agents. Drafting will only get you so much. you got to make trades. If you can get advantages on trades, it's something that at this point is it's uncalculated. It's money off the books in a sense. There's, there's really no way to account for it. No one knows what the picks are worth. And so it's all just situational. Think of when you were a kid, maybe you trade snacks at lunch. And if your gushers are worth a fruit roll-up, by all means, but if you can get two ho-hos instead for your gushers, hey, maybe you make the deal, you're getting more chocolate. I, I don't know. But that's the kind of philosophy it was. It was, it was a very schoolyard type of trading mentality. There was, there was a very loose sense of of what the expectations were for a pick. It's very unlike what it is today. Again, this is before the draft chart. So, Jimmy Johnson making all of these deals, trades his star running back. He ends up with three, five, seven, eight picks in that deal. 
And that's not all. They end up making another pick. They trade a guy, Scott Walker, who was actually Jimmy Johnson's starting quarterback at the University of Miami. He was the backup to Troy Aikman. They were drafted the same year. Think of the RG3 Kirk Cousins scenario. And they were able to trade Walker as well. So they got additional picks in that deal, in the Scott Walker deal. It's pretty impressive stuff. So the Dallas Cowboys making all of these deals realize something. Because the Herschel Walker deal gives them three picks, three additional picks in 1990. And this is a 12-round draft at the time. So they make all these picks and they realize, we have no idea what any of this is really worth. All You have to deal with all of this haggling. And think about it, the conversation when you're trying to make a deal is absurdly clunky. And for a team that is trying to trade as a methodology, that's going to get frustrating. You need to develop some sort of way that you can understand what your picks are worth or at least establish what you think they're worth and go off of those values. I mean, think of just with the draft itself, you talk so much about players, you hear the conversation. This is a first-round grade for him. I give him a second-round grade. And so you have an understanding of, oh, you picked this player too soon or you picked him at the right spot. There's a value assigned to the players and where they fit. But with the draft picks, when you have that first-round pick, it's all conjecture. It's, it's really whatever you want it to be. So you could have the first pick in the draft, and is it the same as the 10th pick? Well, maybe you'll get a, let's say it's a 12-round draft. Maybe you're getting a fourth-round pick in return. You feel pretty good about that. And today, that offer is completely laughable. Think of, for example, with the... Giants and the Chargers. They did their deal based on the trade chart back in 2005 when Eli Manning was swapped for Phillip Rivers. And the way that worked out, the first pick in the draft, which the Chargers had and selected Eli Manning with, it's worth 3,000 points on the chart. So the Giants, they had the fourth overall pick, and it's only worth... 1,800 points, so it's worth 1,200 points less, and they are three slots away from where the Chargers are. So they have to add in the 65th pick in the draft, they're adding in a future first rounder, and and you throw all of these things together, an additional fifth rounder, and they finally get to something that's comparable to what the Chargers need. It ends up even being more than the value. It's it's almost 3,300 points, and that lands them Eli Manning. At this time, uh, Jimmy Johnson has no idea. All you have to look at is what's going on around the league. What have other teams traded for? And you base the precedent based on, on all of that. Think of, for example, this is something that isn't covered in the draft trade chart itself, but when you hear this trade, it's something that's very natural to you. It's like saying, you know, going from six to seven when you count. If you trade a second round pick to a team and you take a pick the next year, you're moving up around. So you're going from the second round with your pick that you're trading right now, and you're going to get a first next year from that other team. It's very natural. So 
that's the kind of stuff that needs to get figured out by Jimmy Johnson. And they don't really know how to go about it. Now, luckily for the Dallas Cowboys, who are in such a young... I'm trying to think of the right way to describe They're in the cocoon of sorts. They've got Michael Irvin at this point. You've got Troy Aikman after the 1990 draft. You've added Emmett Smith. So you've got a good core right now that's getting ready to build. And you also have an absurd amount of draft picks. I mean, when you go into the 1991 draft, this is how crazy it was. They had made... 29 trades in 26 months, the Dallas Cowboys. They ended up with 10 picks in the first four rounds and 17 overall picks in 1991. They had seven picks in the first three rounds and 16 overall in 1992. This is when they're entering the 1991 draft. So when you're considering uh, how many picks here, I mean, we're talking 33. You've got 33 picks to make in two years, and you want to wheel and deal because you certainly can. You want to know where you stand and how much that pick is really worth. The other thing you have to understand is a lot of times these deals, they happen during the draft, and you're racing the clock. So, hey, there's five minutes left on the clock. We got to get this deal done with Baltimore. They're going to make the pick. That's the struggle you deal with. So if you're deciding on the fly, hey, I like the first, but I I don't quite know if this third is enough. It seems okay. I kind of like it. You don't have time for that. So going into these drafts, you need to know generally how you feel about the picks and what they're worth, and you need to be able to do it immediately. Having a uniform system is something that it allows everyone in your organization to be on the same page. When you have five people on the phones and they're talking to five different organizations, they can all say, well, this team offered this, this team offered that, this team offered this. And you can immediately decipher what you think is the better deal, even if the offers are comparable. Because the trade chart tells you exactly what each pick is worth. Well, not necessarily. And that's where the silent partner in all of this comes into play. Again, the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson, Michael Irvin, they all get the publicity, the love, the history. It all goes to them. Allow me to introduce you to a man named Mike McCoy. And no, it's not the Chargers coach that got fired and he's got his issues. This is very different Mike McCoy. The real McCoy, if you will. (laughs) Couldn't help myself, I'm sorry. All right, so Mike McCoy starts in the oil industry. And actually, in 1986, he partners up with Jerry Jones, and they run some company. It's it's a random corporate name. Arcoma is, I believe, how you pronounce it. And McCoy is an interesting guy because he is an engineer by trade. So he's a very sharp, technical, precise type of person. And how this oil company makes its money is basically there's oil reserves out there that are very large and it's obvious that you're going to make a killing off of them and all the big companies would go and try to 
get ownership of those places. Take those risks because they were, odds are, very good ones, and you're very likely to make money. There's a lot of oil wells that are smaller, they might be in more complicated areas, and the odds of turning a profit were really low. In some cases, I've seen them described as low as 5%. So the big companies wouldn't touch them. Mike McCoy, however, being the innovator that he was, decided to try to make a living off of those oil wells. Those were the ones that he wanted. And being able to reasonably turn a profit out of those, and again, this is the oil industry, there's a lot of money to be made, he was able to build a big business and ends up being partnered with Jerry Jones. So think of almost like Tony Stark. He's a guy who, he comes up with all these great inventions and He's also able to speak to the public and do all those bold things, taking women home on each arm, all that kind of stuff. He's Iron Man. That's what he does. That's kind of each half of the Dallas Cowboys ownership because Mike McCoy goes in with Jerry Jones and is a minority owner of the Dallas Cowboys from the start in 1989 when Jerry takes over. Mike McCoy is there. And so he sees everything that's going on over these years. He's in the draft room. He knows that Jimmy and Jerry, they like to trade. How can they get the trades to be in this way that they need? Fast, efficient, and and foundational in a way that you know what the value is. How do you develop this language? Well, what Mike McCoy did is he sat down and made a formula. Now, here's the interesting thing. Again, a lot of people think the trade value chart, when you look at it, it's okay, this is 3,000 points for the first pick overall. That's what this pick is worth. No, 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 no. Everyone's been reading the chart the wrong way this whole time. It doesn't mean that that pick is worth 3,000 points. Because when Mike McCoy made the chart, the idea was he looked at draft trades with picks from 1987 through 1990, and he just observed what the league did, and by getting what those trades were and getting the common understanding of what picks was worth, just the, you know, truisms that people throw out there, he was able to assemble the chart. And for example, he says, it only took a few tries to fill out the chart. I started with the basic assumption that a second round pick is worth two third round picks, That was the rule of thumb that owners and coaches used for a long time. It wasn't hard once you figured out how to do it. Think about that. A second round pick equals two third round picks. So he's just basing it on what people are doing at the time. What people think trades are worth at that time. But no one has a chart, so no one has any idea what a pick is really worth other than this vague idea that a second round pick is worth two third round picks. And even then, what second round pick? The first pick in the second round is clearly worth more than the last pick in the second round. So the whole thing is is shaky. This is not a set you're going to pay. You walk into a store and Wawa has a sign that it's $6 for a hoagie and you pay it. This is haggling. It's, these are what people have been paying. So it's important to understand that. Because everyone tries to make you believe that it's this is hard and fast what 
the pick is worth. So Mike McCoy is able to come up with this chart, and it does wonders for the Dallas Cowboys. And you can see it take effect in the 1991 draft. And there's a great piece out there that if you get the chance to read it, it it's easily found online. It's actually by Peter King of Sports Illustrated, who covers the Dallas Cowboys 1991 draft because they have all the picks and all the power. Again, 17 picks going into this draft. So here's what happens. Well, the article is called Big D-Day. The Dallas Cowboys went on the attack in the NFL and took all the right prisoners. Why? Because they had a piece of technology that no one else had. They were ahead of the game. They were innovators. And it's important to understand that. Think of, I think it was World War I. There's a point where the Germans show up with tanks and the Polish ride up on horses. Well, who wins that fight? The Dallas Cowboys do the same thing here in the 1991 draft with 17 picks because they move everywhere and they do it swiftly. They had, going into the draft, the 11th, the 12th, and the 14th pick just in the first round alone. So what do they do? They come up with a target. They want Russell Maryland, who's a defensive tackle. They want him with the first overall pick, and they make it happen because they talk to New England They have a set idea of what that pick is worth. They get their price. Bam, they move. Then in that same first round, that 14th overall pick, they get an offer from someone, and it's what they want. So they move back from 14 to 20. They get on the phone again, and Peter King profiles all of this. As they're on the phone at number 20, they get a call from someone. They get a couple of picks offered, and this is with two minutes left on the clock before they have to hand their pick in. So they say, okay, we like this offer. We'll probably accept it, but hold on. And they get another call, and someone offers something else. And, and, and they can go through all these permutations of offers in seconds. Something that no front office was equipped to do because they had this chart. And so they just run wild in the 1991 draft. And after they make all of those selections, they come out smelling like roses. They got three pro bowlers by the end of that. So this comes at a time where Troy Aikman is now hitting his third season. You've got Michael Irvin, who's been with the team, Emmett Smith, all of these young kids, the triplets in their primes, hitting their primes. And this begins with a Herschel Walker trade that happened in 89 and getting those future picks. So all of this valuing draft picks, this need to get better, this need to beat the system, it all combines in this big, powerful way. And it's something that that builds a dynasty. The 91 draft, like I just said, three pro bowlers. In the 92 draft, you get three pro bowlers. So they build this foundation on top of Troy Aikman, on top of Emmett Smith. So it's not just drafting well, but it's taking advantage of those opportunities to add talent via trades or add draft picks via trades and and really build this thing up. Get all of those lottery tickets in a 12-round draft with 17 picks, having starters and depth guys and all of those things that you really need to build a team. They were able to do it, and they were able to do it around a young team that was just starting to hit its prime. 
And a big reason for that is because they had this draft chart. They had a common understanding of what everything was worth. It did wonders. It helped build a dynasty. It really, truly, genuinely did. Single piece of paper from a guy who worked in the oil industry, had no football experience. Fascinating. And what else is interesting about it is not only did the draft chart play a huge role in the Dallas Cowboys and the, and the dynasty that they became, but it changed the league as a whole because what happens, it's something that we understand in the NFL. It's the coaching tree, right? So what happens? Assistants go here and there, and when they go, they're taking the chart with them. Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones, they have a falling out. And after winning two consecutive Super Bowls, Jimmy Johnson leaves the Dallas Cowboys, resigns. And two years later, he comes back. He's a Miami Dolphins. So what do you know? The Miami Dolphins have the trade chart. And as a result of this, all of these coaches moving and weaving and getting fired and hired and promoted and demoted and whatever, they move all over the league. And soon everyone has some understanding of the Dallas Cowboys trade value chart. And now before where it was a common language where people in that front office in the Dallas War Room in that 1991 draft as the calls came in, they could all communicate so quickly whether or not to make deals and do it with the certainty of we're getting value here. The whole league now was speaking this same common language and it did wonders for the NFL because let's be real, in an era without free agency, you thought it was bad. But they weren't trading much either. Again, Jimmy Johnson with 51 trades had more than the rest of the league combined. So in an era where free agency is now just getting started in 1992 and things are picking up for the league and and people are all getting these charts, trades go wild. They more than triple after the trade chart starts making its way around the league. Why? Because think of the natural psychological element to this. Part of the biggest fear that general managers have is, I can't look like a fool for this. Even if you're little, you might be paying a little bit more than you'd like. You don't want to come out looking like a fool. Well, the draft trade chart, it's based on other deals that people have made. So it sets a precedent. It's already been done before. It's the common language. That's why, even though, again, it's not on the chart, trading a second-round pick for a first-round pick the following year is totally okay because why? It happens all the time. When the Browns trade and they get Brock Osweiler and they give up a draft or they get a draft pick to do it because they're eating his salary, no one's really done that. It's a surprising, and depending on who you talk to, it's a very questionable and skeptical thing to look at. So now general managers with this chart feel more comfortable. And so everyone's operating on the same level. And so the trades keep going up and up and up and up and up. It's amazing. And this all starts with, again, a bad organization, the Herschel Walker trade, and and the idea that you needed to beat the system. You needed to find some new way to expand and get better and really gain that extra advantage that, other teams just don't have. And for Dallas, it paid off. And and for the league, it's paid off. 
the NFL is clearly better as a result of this trade chart. Trades are exciting. Whether you like it or not, the trade for your team, it's exciting. And so the trade value chart did that. Now here's the interesting thing. What happened to Mike McCoy, the creator of this chart, this league-changing and for the Cowboys franchise-changing, dynasty-making chart? What happened? Because we know what happened with Jimmy Johnson. The feud was publicized. Jerry Jones is still with the Dallas Cowboys. Irvin, Aikman, Emmett, they're in the Hall of Fame. So we know. What happened to Mike McCoy, this great innovator? You know what happened? He got bored. Mike McCoy, 1996, after the Cowboys win their third Super Bowl, he leaves, sells his shares, and he goes into the oil industry again. He was an engineer at heart. It's what he wanted to do. He had to get back into that industry, and so he did. And you don't hear him talking much about the NFL or anything that's going on. He's not, a, he's not a prominent voice. He hasn't become a commentator. He didn't do any of those things. And the avenue was certainly there. Being a part of the Dallas Cowboys, helping to build that dynasty, being a creator, being one of those godfathers of analytics, if you will, coming up with this chart. He's in Dallas, just works for an oil company, does his own thing. Pretty incredible. So I hope you enjoyed this journey as we go from the disaster that was the Dallas Cowboys to the dynasty and and how it's made such an impact on the NFL draft that we'll be seeing in a couple of days here in Philadelphia. Just really interesting, amazing stuff. Again, when people talk about that draft trade chart, don't let them tell you that's what the pick is worth. That's what people think that it was worth and have operated on that years and years and years. Doesn't mean it's right. Good example I'll leave you with, just before we wrap up here. There's a great story that I was told once of a woman who, she'd bake an Easter ham. And whenever she did it, she would cut the ends of the ham off and throw them out. And did it for years and years and years. And why'd she do it? Well, grandma did it. And so grandma did it. Mom did it. I'm doing it. It's the right thing to do. It's how it's been done. Well, eventually, she sees grandma and says, Grandma, why why have we been cutting the ends off of the ham? Seems perfectly good to me. Grandma looks at her and responds, it didn't fit in the oven. So that's kind of what the NFL has been like over these years. And and so these outside-of-the-box trades, it's still something that can be capitalized on, and there's still avenues to explore. Future first-round picks, for example, are often involved in trades. No one knows what they're really worth. It's all speculation. And it's interesting to see where that frontier goes next. But at least for now, you understand where that history is and and how it's impacted today. So thanks again for tuning into the show. I am Vince Quinn. If you've enjoyed the program, please let me know. Tweet me at It's Vince Quinn. That's all one word, at It's Vince Quinn. I would love to hear from you guys. I've gotten a lot of good responses so far, and and honestly, it helps me do these. If, If people didn't enjoy it, 
it makes it hard to go. But I have a blast doing it, and I'm glad that you guys have been enjoying it as well. Thanks to everyone at Bleeding Green Nation, and I'll talk to you next week. This has been a Pond Further Review.